Uh, we are finishing up, uh, not finishing up, we have more and more weekend on the R12 series, and we've been at this for a little while, so if you're new, welcome. Uh, R12 stands for Romans 12, and we're looking at the whole chapter of Romans 12 as a blueprint. Uh, it really is a blueprint for what's true spirituality. Uh, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in life in a spirituality that is just all about rules and response to shame and guilt and trying to figure out how to measure up. But, but there's this true sense of spirituality that God wants us to live in that is life-giving, that brings freedom. And as we've been looking at Romans 12, it, it, it's defined as the first step is surrender, that, that the only way we can ever find that is to put all of our chips in the middle of the table and say, God, you have it all. I'm going to trust you with everything. And, and the second one is that we learn to live winsomely and wonderfully and, and graciously in the world and strong in the world, but, but live separate from the world's values. Not to remove ourselves from the world, but to live God's values in friendship and relationship in the world. And then the third t- thing we talked about was a sober self-assessment. That God has designed us in a certain way and He wants us to become comfortable, joyful, peaceful with the way He's made us, both our strengths and our weaknesses. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean to live in authentic community because actually one of the themes that's kind of been through this whole series is the fact that we cannot find true spirituality outside of relationship, not just with God, but even relationship with others. So what does it look like to live in authentic community? And, and today we're going to start that off. One way we're trying to encourage authentic community is through small groups. And we have, like, uh, like Jimmy said, well over 200 people involved in small groups as far as adults, which, uh, which represents a very large percentage of our adults. And, and I, I'm hearing all sorts of good news every week about people enjoying that process. But, but we have an expert uh, here for you today to uh, talk a little bit in a video about why small groups. So enjoy this, uh, this expert. Here at Triple C, carving clearer Christianity, we know that the walk of faith can be filled with a bucket full of challenges. But hey, it's not like it's rocket science. Hello, I'm Dr. Marvin Orlo-Blauvin with Triple C Laboratories. We exist for the sole reason of clearing up the fog that confuses a proper understanding of the Christian lifestyle. The third one. Sounds like a donkey? Or a monkey? Correct? I concur. Take, for instance, church small groups. The idea of stepping outside a large church environment that induces anonymity and into a smaller community that induces vulnerability makes some people so nervous it induces vomiting. A larger church experience is certainly the utmost importance, for it solidifies the spiritual and the philosophical, but not the personal. For what you believe to turn into how you live, you must be connected with people. People who know you and love you and are willing to walk through life with you. Life can be treacherous. It takes a God-serving community who truly knows the specifics of your life to serve as reinforcements. Life was never meant to be lived in solitude. One can have all the head knowledge of Christianity in the world. And yet, if he attempts to live it all alone, he's sunk. (laughs) Clever phrasing. That is the beauty of the small group. 
We believe it is going to make life more complicated, when in reality, it makes life more doable. It's just like my fingers. Here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the door, and all are spiritually emaciated from head knowledge with no practical application. Now, here's the house. Here's the chimney, open the door, and a smaller cadre of individuals becomes immersed in a positive habitual cycle of reinforced faith living. Now, post small group, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, the church is full to bursting with people hungry for what they see alive in the lifestyles of healthy attendees who have their faith reinforced through small groups. That is the purpose of small groups. That theory may become practicality, and that truth believed may become truth lived daily. I'm Dr. Marvin Orville Blevin, and small groups are not rocket science. I picked that clip because I enjoy it for two reasons. Actually, the actor used to be part of the church that we led small groups in in Tulsa for years and was an upstart comedian back then and now has his own production company. But I love it as well because it gets at one of the core issues of why people avoid small groups. I have heard this so many times from a number of you, and I've heard it all over about small groups. So many people, when they think about small groups, they, they, they use that word vulnerable and, and intimate, and it makes them want to vomit. And you know what? We're going to talk about what it means to have authentic community, because really, our small groups are not about a program. They're not about just something we do to grow a church or whatever. There's something we do because all of us have certain relationship needs. And we're going to talk about that from the life of Jonathan and David today and from some some practical application in a way that I think paints a picture for us of a a more realistic picture so that we can go into this whole adventure because some of you, some of you have been telling me your small group experience is fantastic. I've heard from people who are in a small group for the first time and and you're coming to me and uh, are coming to your leaders and some people are coming to me uh, uh, directly and just saying, it's changing my life. I can't believe it. This is so awesome. I'm actually learning and this is amazing. Why didn't I do this before? And, and others of you have had small group experiences before, and I'm hearing, hearing things like, man, this R12 stuff that we're studying is changing me, and, it's, and, and I'm hearing words like it's, it, it's, it's undone me. I'm, I'm just really being touched by God. But then there's some of you who probably are still sitting there going, feels a little bit like I'm expected to vomit. And so what does it mean to have authentic community? And that's what we're going to look at through the life of David. And, you know, this is a big issue because uh, not too long ago, Marla Paul, a uh, syndicated columnist writing in the Chicago Tribune, was journaling her journey through life of a lot of failed and disappointed relationships and, and writing about how many times she'd been disappointed and struggled with finding really healthy relationships in her life. And, and she had a lot of people write in. And one of the ladies wrote in to her saying, I often feel like I'm standing outside looking through the window of a party to which I'm not invited. Do you ever feel like that? Are you ever in a crowd? Are you ever in a small group? Are you ever in a, you know, at a, at a game with other parents when your kids or kids got on a new team and, and everybody's laughing and talking and you just sit there and you feel like, 
how do I break into this? I, I mean, I'm kind of laughing and chit-chatting, but there's nothing here. It's just so surfacy, and I just feel like I'm looking on from the outside in. And, and Robert Putnam in his book Bowling Alone talks about this more, and he, he calls loneliness the new American epidemic. Isn't that interesting? In a world where we can have our iPhone and we can be texting and we can be chatting and we can be emailing, we can be IMing and we can be talking all the time and we can just, and we have more communication going on in our day with other people than ever before through Facebook and all those other means. And yet, we can be so connected through communication but so disconnected relationally. We can still live life like we're looking in from the outside, like everybody else is having a party and we got this bubble wrap around us that just keeps us away from everybody. You know, the, they go on in this, in this setting to say that the studies have consistently shown that men in America, that less than one out of ten men, less than 10% of men, have what they would call a true breast friend. Now, a lot of men have a lot of buddies they can go drink a beer with, they can watch football, they can play golf with, they can play with, they can chit-chat over the water cooler at work, and they can have an intellectual discussion about things like that. But, but, but it all remains somewhat surfacy. And less than one in ten men, and, and it's probably even not that much different for women, believe it or not, because a lot of times women just go around and they talk about everything that's going on, but there's still parts of us that we hide. There's still things that we don't, we don't have all the time, those people in our life, that we can just be really who we are with. And that's what we're talking about today. And, and the amazing story of David and Jonathan depicts for us a relationship built on friendship. And, it, and we're going to look at seven different essentials of, of healthy, authentic friendship in their life that I think we can learn from today. Now, you've got notes on the back of your program. If you're a note taker and want to do that, I just want to mention that to you. I don't always put the notes. Sometimes we just put a blank back there. But today there are actually notes that might help you follow along. So the background, we're going to start in, uh, in 1 Samuel 18 in a minute, but if you look back at chapter 17, David is introduced into the story, and, and he's this young boy, and the Israelite army's out in the open field, and if you all grew up in church, and you probably heard this story, it's the story of David and Goliath. You've got this great big nine-foot man who, whose spear is heavier than most of us in the guys in the room could bench press today, and he wields it in battle like it's just a toothpick. And he's out there challenging the armies of God to saying, hey, instead of all of us fighting, why don't you just fight me and whoever wins, wins. And we'll be the servants of whoever. And, and he's intimidating people. And out comes David, this little, this little shepherd boy who was rejected to even going out to battle. He, he, was, he was told to stay home and tend the sheep. Cause, and the only reason he's there that day is because he brought, he brought uh, cheese and bread and, and food for his brothers and and, and that's, so he just happens to be there. And, and we know the story. David goes out and he becomes a rock star warrior. And that's okay. There's a groaner foul there. Have you ever been to comedy sports? If you tell, if you tell a joke that's not worthy of laughing, it's a groaner foul. Okay. So that's the groaner. He's a rock star warrior. Did you get that? He beats him with, uh, he beats him with a sling and some stones. Okay. Okay. Come on. You gotta, you gotta give me a little bit of a break once in a while. I can be really serious, but usually, usually I can be seriously bad in my humor too. So you gotta help me out once in a while. But anyway, David's this talented guy, and 
he also happens to be a great musician and, and, and they discover he's also very eloquent and he's just, he's very, just, just a really good young upcoming leader. And King Saul recognizes God's hand on him and says, David, you stay with me in the palace. I want you to serve me and minister to me in the palace. And, and we see then in chapter 18 this, this relationship between him and Jonathan developing. And, and I think the first essential in learning about having authentic community and authentic relationships is we need to understand that we need to be aware of what God's doing. Because God orchestrates, and God, God orchestrates circumstances and he orchestrates chemistry among people. Think about this relationship. Jonathan is King Saul's son. He's heir to the throne. David is this, is this, you know, probably grungy, dirty little kid who's been tending sheep and he's smelly and he's, he's small and he's, you know, he's kind of cute. The, the kind of the text describes him as kind of cute, but really kind of cute probably means he's been out with the sheep and he's smelly and he's dirty and he just doesn't look that good, you know? He doesn't look impressive. And, uh, and you have two very different people from very different worlds. And the text says, God knit their hearts together. He knit their hearts together. He, knits their, he knit their souls together in this unlikely friendship. And it's so easy for us to go through life with our unconscious filters of who we think we'll be friends with, who we think we'll connect with. And, you know, it can be, it can be who, how they dress. It can be their interests. It can be their educational background. It can be what they love to talk about. It can be how they look in other, other ways. And it can even be how they laugh. We've all had those friends that, you know, they laugh and they snort and it's kind of embarrassing in a crowd. And, you know, I mean, we have all these unconscious filters of who can and can't be our friends. And the reality is God wants to orchestrate chemistry. He wants to orchestrate connections. And you know what? Sometimes it's with people who are very different than you. And I can remember one of the, probably the closest friend I've had in my life. He came from a very different world. There's no reason why we should have been friends. But God orchestrated the chemistry so number two, God orchestrates chemistry, but then the, number, the, the second thing we learn from their story is that rarely do we drift into an authentic community. It takes intentionality on our part to be a part of relationships that are meaningful, that are authentic. In verse 3 it says, And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend. Look at the, look at the initiative here. Now Jonathan's the prince. He's the guy with the power. He's the guy with the influence. He's the guy with the prestige. He's the guy that probably everybody in the kingdom want to be friends with. But it's Jonathan, and he's the amazing example of this friendship. It's Jonathan who takes the initiative to go to David, and, and it says, and he sealed the pact of their friendship. He, he intentionally goes and says, I want to be your friend. Not, not just because David was this giant killer, not just because David was this talented guy, but because he saw something in David's life about what God was doing. And he saw something he could learn from and benefit from in a friendship. And he goes to him and says, I want to be your friend. And then he, and then he seals the pact by giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And that could be a, a message in and of itself, this whole, this whole aspect of what does it mean when you are the person who may be the, the stronger one to lay down your rights, to lay down your power, to lay down your prestige, your influence and say, I'm the prince, but I'm going, to be friend with this, I'm going to be friends with this dirty little shepherd boy who just seems to have some talent and got lucky with a stone, you know? It's this intentional pursuit, this intentional, this intentional commitment. 
You see, because while it does say God knit their hearts together and God clearly orchestrates circumstances, orchestrates chemistry, this friendship would have never happened without intentionality on Jonathan's part. And we'll see that all the way through the story today. You know, in your small group settings, if you expect there to find among all the people there your closest, deepest friendships, you're probably going to be disappointed because I look back even on my first really, really great small group experience, and there were about five of us who were together, but God knit my heart together with one out of those five. Yeah, I was friends with all of them, but, but, but it was through circumstances that God knit our heart together. And so if you go into your small group, you know, there's going to be some people who snort and are different than who annoy you, and maybe God's going to make them your best friends, and maybe he's not. But a lot of times what we did, because of my experience in, in my own life, realizing, hey, I'm not going to mesh with everybody, and it has to be more of a deep connection with somebody to be meaningful. Uh, in small groups, it's, it's also something where you don't want to discuss everything in a group of, five, of 10 or 12. You want to break down in groups of five. You want to pray together in groups of three. Why? Because you want to have the opportunity, and you'll see how that fills in with the rest of the story today as well. You want to have the opportunity to rub shoulders because you want to see not just is God calling me to this whole group, but maybe there's only one person in that group who you're going to connect with. And God wants to orchestrate that chemistry. And you're in that group, not because of the whole group, but because of that relationship or, or maybe two relationships or maybe three. And, and if you don't do something intentional to... Uh, to go after those relationships, you won't make it. You know, and this gets back to the whole idea of, of the issue that makes uh, so many people in small groups want to vomit when we talk about vulnerability and intimacy and, and all that stuff. Because, because there's, this, there's this idea that, that we as a whole group of 10 or 12 need to be really open and honest with everybody. But, but the reality is, and it's an interesting because there was a study done by a guy named Joe Myers who's an expert in small groups and a publisher as well. And he, he looked at this one theory and did a study on it and came up, came up with this idea, and I think it's really reality. I think the reality is that all of us in our lifetime have room for maybe one to five people over the course of our entire lifetime who we really can be completely who we are. We don't have to hold anything back. We don't have to have any masks. There's so much trust. There's so much honesty there. We can be absolutely out front, and they can see us for our good, bad, ugly, and everything. Only about one to five people in a lifetime, and typically most people at a given time can't handle more than one to three of those people in their life. And then we have this another layer, another layer. Maybe you look at them as steps. Maybe the next step up and is this, there's this other layer of friends. Maybe and most people can handle between five and ten of them who we're really quite real with. They know almost all of us about us, but it, it never really quite goes that last step. And, and you know, but but it's still it's still a very open, honest, deep friendship. And then most of us can handle somewhere between 10 and 25 relationships of people where we just have fun with. We may have a good intellectually stimulating discussion every now and then. Once in a while, we'll approach being really real, but we just have fun with. We go play ball with, we play tennis with, we watch games with, we, we enjoy them at work, we laugh and joke with them at work, but it never really gets really deep. And see, the reality is what we want through small groups and what we want in our life is not for us to be vulnerable and intimate and, and bear our complete soul with everybody. We want each of us to have that healthy balance of relationships 
where we have authentic community. We know what we need. And so maybe some of you already have that, that person on that lowest rung, that one to three person that you can handle. Maybe you already got that in your life. So you go into a group and you're looking for a different need to be met. Maybe you've already got all the, all ten of them and you're looking for a group just to go have fun with. Or, or maybe what's more likely for many of us is I think most of us probably have in our life that group of friends of tw- 10 to 25 who, you know, we'll have an interesting discussion. You know, when we're sick, they'll pray for us and we'll talk and maybe they'll bring us a meal or something, but we're not really close and, and, and we're trying to prop up all these relationships and, and God's inviting us to have a balance and He's inviting us to be intentional and He's inviting us to be aware of what he wants to do and 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 he wants us to find all those different types of relationships in our life not just to be satisfied because if we only settle for that 10 to 25 then you will be that person on a regular basis when you're going through a difficult issue feeling like you're the one on the outside of the window looking in because nobody really knows you nobody really accepts you a hundred percent for who you are And the reality, folks, is even in our marriages, a lot of times our marriages aren't even that one to three relationship for many of us. Some of our marriages never get there. I think God's challenging us to go there with our marriages and with some other people in our relationships. So we learn with Jonathan and David to be aware. We learn with them to be intentional. And then we also learn from them that we have to be honest. And, and we're going to talk about honest in a little bit different way today. We're going to talk about honest in, in, as going that last 10% in, how we, in our relationships with people, in the context of the layers, just going the last 10%. Because you see, a lot of us go that 90% and then, and then we stop. And, and we look in chapter 18 and we see David in the story having great success. And so he's getting promoted and, and Saul promotes him to a high military commander and he's gaining influence and all the other commanders and all the people in the kingdom are applauding him. And, and, and what we see happen then is David's getting more attention than the king. And the king becomes jealous and devises a plan to kill him. And Jonathan finds out about it. And Jonathan in chapter 19 goes to David and tells him, he says, I, you know, you, you, need to, you need to go hide and I'm going to figure this one out. And you go hide in a field and I'm going to talk to my dad and then I'll come talk to you and tell you what's going on. And the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father and he says, please don't sin against David, Jonathan pleaded. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. And then Jonathan reminded Saul, he said, Father, have you forgotten about the time that, you risked, that David risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how, what a great victory that was for us, for, for Israel? You were certainly happy about it then, and it basically is what he's saying. You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder this innocent man? It's, it's not right. There's no reason for it. And in this instance, we see Saul listening to Jonathan. And he relents and says, yes, David is righteous. I was unrighteous. I won't go after him. But that doesn't last very long because what we see in Saul's life is this, is this great study in insecurity. He's an insecure man. And the reality is very insecure people will never have deep relationships because we will always be comparing ourselves. We'll always be threatened by going deep with someone because we can never take fully off the mask and be who we are. But great friendships are characterized by honesty but oftentimes, you know, we only go 90%. And, and here's what 90% probably would look like for most of us. If we were Jonathan in this situation and we heard this, we'd probably look at, look at the dad and the king and say, oh, you know, I don't know if it's worth risking because he might get mad at me. I mean, he's the king. He can, he can kill me if he wants. 
And we'd probably go to David instead and say, hey, David, I think it's a good time to go on a vacation. Here's my donkey. Here's some bucks. There's a resort down the road. Go away. And we wouldn't tell David what's going on with King Saul. And we'd try to protect him. And we'd try to play these games and protect people from having their feelings hurt. But he doesn't do that. Jonathan goes the last 10% with his father and with David. He goes to his father and confronts him, not just for what he's thinking about doing, but confronts him for his sin. Going the last 10%, he takes the risk. And he does the same with David. He tells David exactly what's going on, telling him 100%, not part of it, all of it. You know, but it's so hard for us to find people in our lives who will do that. And it's so hard for us to do that, isn't it? Isn't it hard for us to go that last 90, that last 10%? We want to go up to a point and then it gets to the point where we just kind of bail because, man, we're afraid if we go this last bit or we say it this directly or this clearly that we're going to get rejected or we're, we're going to hurt somebody and we don't want to do that. You know, one of the best experiences in my life, and, and it's amazing to me, I was just thinking about it yesterday, and it's amazing to me that this keeps coming back to my life because it was so long ago. I guess that just says how impactful it was. But in my senior year in high school, I was, uh, I was the, the first chair trumpet player in our band. And we had uh, five groups that I was in at the state music contest between, between vocal and, and instrumental. And there was, we'd done four of them, and we'd received the highest marks possible. We, the last event we were doing was this brass ensemble, which I was leading and, and directing. And we were, that was supposed to be our strongest event of the day. And we didn't even make it past the cut. And I came out of there going, this is just not good. I mean, this is, the, what's the matter? I mean, this, other, this other group was a whole lot worse, and we, and we did the best. And, and what's the, this judge is just not, you know, and I, making all the excuses. And, and my band director, who was a great influence in my life, came up to me and just heard me saying that. And he says, Ross, I've got to tell you, you were the reason why they failed. And then he went and listed the very specific reasons. He went that last 10% with me. And you know I could receive it for him because he did the first 90% with me. He believed in me. He was the guy encouraging me actually to go on to do music. I dropped music after high school and didn't. But he encouraged me in other ways too. Even in every area of my life, I actually learned more about basketball from my band teacher than I did from my coach, which, you know, I guess, you know, tells you something. But, but, but he went that last 10% and didn't pull any punches and was honest. And you know, the reality is most of us have very few people in their life like that. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says it this way. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, the only way we'll find peace, the only way we'll find joy, the only way we'll find contentment, or in last week's language, the only way we'll ever come to a sober assessment of who we are is if we have friends who will go the last 10%. Because we all too often go through life and, and we go, why didn't I star? Or why isn't this person leading me? Or I thought I was really good at this and why, did I, why are not people responding better? And, and nobody will tell us because they're afraid of hurting our feelings. We're so afraid of hurting, our, hurting feelings that we will stop at the 90% and we will allow people to live a miserable life without a sober assessment of themselves because they make excuses for themselves and we prop them up and let them make excuses for themselves or we make excuses for them because we don't want to go that last 10%. But God wants us to learn to be honest in our friendships. And yeah, 
that last 10% may cost us the relationship. That's true. But it may also produce the best friendship and the lifelong friendship that you've ever had. Four is be available, stay engaged and open. And it's basically when crisis comes, friends alive. And we see in this in chapter 20, we see David fleeing Saul. And, uh, and, and, and David goes now to Naoth and Roma, uh, this city, and, and, and he goes to find Jonathan. And he goes to Jonathan. And have you ever had this in a really close friendship? David comes to him. See, see remember, uh, Saul was going to try to kill David earlier, but then he said, no, I won't ever do that. And that's the way it stood. But now Saul's actually out there again with his army, sending his, sending his basically his secret police, his, his, his hitmen, to go get David and kill him. And David knows this, but Jonathan doesn't know about it. And so David goes to Jonathan and says, Hey, your dad's after me. He threw a spear at me, and now he's sending guys at me. And Jonathan's going, No way my dad would tell me for sure if he did that. Don't accuse my dad of doing that. Have you ever been in an argument like that? Where there's been something gone wrong in relationship, and you and your best friend are on opposite sides of the argument? And it's so easy to get offended. It's so easy to get defensive and, and, and shove the relationship away. But, but it's amazing here because Jonathan, again, shows us this great, authentic friendship. Because basically at the end of the, at the, end of the, the, the day, Jonathan basically says to him, you know, um, what do you want me to do? Instead of pushing him away, he says, what do you want me to do? And we'll see in a minute that David basically says, I need you to get on the same page. I need you to do something to verify for yourself that this happens, and I need you to remain my friend in the process. A friend loves at all times, Proverbs 17, 17 says, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, if we're afraid of conflict in our relationship, if when conflict happens, our reaction ends up being pulling away, rather than saying, I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to stay here. What do you need from me? We'll never press through to that deep relationship as long as conflict repels us. The next one is loyalty. Authentic friendships don't shrink back when things heat up. And, and we see the same conversation story going on in 20 verse 5. And, and David basically, so after, after Jonathan says, what do you need from me? David basically says, okay, Tomorrow we celebrate the New Moon Festival. It's this great big feast. And, and normally I'm going to be seated at Saul's table. And, and I'm always there. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to go hide in the field for three days. And you go to that meal. And Jonathan, when he asks where I am, you tell him I had to go home to Bethlehem to my family for a religious observance and, and, and see what he does. Because he, he, David says this to Jonathan. He says, if, if he says okay and he's good with that, then everything I've said is wrong. If he gets angry, then everything I've said is right. And you need to come tell me what, what's up. And he says, he says that very clearly. He says to Jonathan, show me this kindness as my sworn friend, for we have made a covenant together before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I sinned against your father. But please do not betray me. Be loyal to me. Stick with me through this whole process, even, it mean, even if it means I've sinned and you have to kill me. Stick with me. And listen to what Jonathan said. Jonathan says, never, Jonathan exclaimed, you know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you. And then if you skip down to verse 16, he says, so Jonathan made a covenant with David saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. That's an amazing statement. What's Jonathan saying? 
Normally we'd think blood is thicker than water, right? But Jonathan is basically saying this friendship is born and I'm so loyal to you that if my father's your enemy, may the Lord judge him because of this relationship and this dedication to the friendship. And then, this is the interesting part, you would think in that circumstance that David, the one on the outs, the one being threatened, would be the one begging Jonathan to reaffirm the friendship. But Jonathan, again, leads the way in this amazing intentionality that we have to have in relationship. Jonathan, the guy in the superior power position, says to David, I want you, David, to reaffirm your vow of friendship to me. It's not David begging for Jonathan to reaffirm his friendship. It's Jonathan saying, I am so committed to you. May God deal with your enemies and will you commit to me again, your friendship. And that's what it takes sometimes. It takes us to be that loyal, that intentional, when, especially when we're in the power position in an argument, in a relationship, for us to take the initiative to reaffirm that friendship. You know, the reason we don't have really great friends in a lot of times in life is because the price of loyalty is really very high. You know, you may be in a horrendous relational situation right now. And maybe that situation is because you've sinned. And maybe you've got people coming and saying, you know, and judging you and telling you and putting you off and keeping you at a distance. What we need is we need friends who will always tell us the truth. They'll never dismiss sin in our lives. But they will say, how can I help you? What can we do? What's next? How are we going to get through this together? And that's what Jonathan does. And that's the kind of friends we want to be as we live out this being friends with faith. Number six, quickly, vulnerable and real. Refuse to let pride or, or, or limit your relationships. In chapter 20, we see it getting really, really bad. And Jonathan David realizes David needs to run for his life. And there's this whole scene in the field. And they get together and they realize that he's got to run. And, uh, and here's what it says when, when, when David comes up to him to, to find out he needs to run. And it says, David bowed to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have made a pact in the Lord's name. We have entrusted each other and each other's children into the Lord's hand forever. And then David left Jonathan and returned to the city. Men especially. This is uncomfortable. Here's two manly men, about as manly as you get. And they're weeping and hugging and bowing to one another and, and verbalizing and demonstrating their vulnerability to each other. And you know, some of you may have never had anybody, may have never had a strong male friend or male, male figure in your life who consistently hugged you and told you he loves you. And it may feel weird even if you did to do that just because of the way our culture is. But isn't there part of it that feels right? Isn't there part of it that feels good when that happens? And God wants us to have that kind of vulnerability where it really it's the price tag of depth of relationship. Without it, we can't have depth of relationship unless we're willing to be honest with what little emotion we may have, guys, and to tell people how we feel. And seven is spirit, being spiritual. David's running, dodging spears. He's hiding in caves for over a decade. And he's basically probably going running, to the cave, running through the caves going, God's promised me to be king, but it sure doesn't feel like it. 
And he's going up and down. And in one of these down moments in chapter 23, 15, we see David and Horish that received news that Saul was again coming out after him, trying to kill him. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish. And it says he helped him find strength in the Lord. And this is how he did it. He said, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. Now, he's not saying that he's already worked it out and Saul's not coming after him. They both know Saul's trying to come after him with everything he's got, and nobody's going to stop him from trying to come after him. But but Jonathan himself is this friend in David's life who reminds him of the promises of God, that God's character, God's promises can be trusted, and that he is one day going to be king. And so therefore he goes out and confidently says, Saul will not touch you. And he goes on and says, you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Talk about loyalty. The guy in line for the throne recognizes God's hand, recognizes God's purpose, and willingly lays down his life and his prestige and his power and says, I will serve you and I will encourage you when you're down so that you'll be strong. Because you know what? No matter how strong we are, when darkness hits, when we go through loss, when we deal with the tough stuff of life, I don't care how strong you are. You're still going to have the questions, where is God? Where is he? And you're going to need depth of friendship in your life that takes the initiative like Jonathan does to encourage you to stay strong in the promises. You know, how do we do this? A couple simple ways, just a couple steps. If you're not connected in those kind of relationships, if as I've been talking you realize, yeah, my life is pretty much the, 50, the 10 to 25 friends. And I, I, you know, I, I got, I'm kind of on the outside of the window. I feel like I'm in all these relationships of bubble wrap and nobody really knows me and I don't really ever get close. And if you're that person, then I want you to take some initiative to get connected. Maybe if you're not in a small group, you get in a small group. Maybe if you're in a small group, this week you do the next step and you, and you go a little bit deeper and you ask one or two people in that group and you, 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 you throw a little bit of piece of yourself out or, or you ask them questions that helps draw them out and, and you just take a step to go a little bit deeper. And then at some point you risk and you, and you pray. You know, sometimes it's so hard for us to bring the spiritual element in. Even with an unsaved person around us, they're going through a tough time, just ask them permission to pray. They'll almost never turn you down. And it doesn't have to be this uncomfortable position where you have to explain everything. God can prove himself. God can show up. Allow him to come into the relationship. Allow him to maybe possibly be a part of it in in an intentional way that knits your heart together with them. Don't let the busyness, don't let the patterns of your life keep you where you're at. You know, we can never experience the true spirituality that God wants us to experience if we don't have these healthy relationships. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that for each of us here, that throughout this week that you would give us the courage to assess realistically where we're at. 
Have we been holding back a part of ourselves? Are we out of balance? Do we, do we not, have, we, have we not been intentional and are we allowing ourselves because of, because of bad experiences or being vulnerable in the past and being burned, how are we allowing those things to keep us from having the kind of depth of relationship that you want us to have, the kind of joy and the kind of peace that you want us to have? Lord, I pray that you would bless us with the courage and, and support us and help us as we take whatever steps we need to take this week to grow, to find this authentic community and authentic friendships that you want in our lives to bring joy. Lord, help us to be the Jonathans, to take initiative, to be intentional. And Lord, I know that your word says that when we do this, it's, it's not about what words we say. It's not about convincing people of theology. But all throughout the Bible, all throughout the centuries, and even today, people will come to know you because of our relationships. Your word says it over and over again. Lord, help us to be a winsome, wonderful church where people are connected in work, connected in home, connected here in relationships that honor you in every way possible. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today with a need and would like somebody to pray, I know there'll be people around here willing to pray, but God bless. Have a great week. Let's really live life as friends with faith. Not just surface. Let's really learn to be friends. Guys, let's break that statistic. No more one in ten, okay? Let's be ten for ten. God bless. Have a great day.